This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. everyone, this is Chris Grasso with the Indie Spiritualist Podcast on the Be Here Now Network. And my guest today is the incredible visionary artist, Chris Dyer. Chris, thank you so much for joining me today. It's my pleasure, Chris. Right on, man. So what I would love to do really quick is just read your bio and then jump into this conversation. For anyone listening, um, literally this was um, scheduled like last night into this morning. Chris is about to head off to Australia next week, so uh, I'm really psyched and grateful that he was able to make this happen. So it's going to be a a pretty organic conversation, Um, but that said, let me just read this bio and then we're going to dive right in. So Chris Dyer is a Peruvian artist living in Montreal, Canada, who is better known for his visionary art on broken skateboards, canvases, and walls worldwide. Chris is responsible for a big part of the art done for Creation Skateboards and Satori Movement Wheels from San Francisco, California, yet his happy images can be found on skateboards all over the world. His art now transcends just skateboards as there are so many things in our world that could use some extra color. He hopes to pass on a positive message to the youth with these expressions. Chris has traveled all over the world in search for his own answers and shows his art when possible. He's had gallery exhibitions in places like Mexico, Belgium, Peru, France, and all over the States and Canada. He has been featured in tons of magazines and books, including his own positive creations, The Visionary Art of Chris Dyer, as well as Chris Dyer's kick-ass coloring book for rad adults and cool kids, both available on Amazon. Check uh, YouTube for his documentary as well, and his website is positivecreations.ca. So there you have it in a nutshell. I know there's a lot more to unpack, but um, that's a bit about you. And so, Chris, again, thanks, man, for taking the time to join me. Yeah, it's awesome, man. Thank you. Yeah. So, you know, as, as you and I were discussing um, before I hit the record button, um, I learned about your work uh, like roughly three years ago or so through Alex and Allison Gray, um, who are mutual friends of ours. And it goes without saying absolutely incredible artists. Um so let's talk a little bit about art. I mean, <laughs> that's your thing. So let's start there. And um, maybe actually let's dive back to like your early, earlier childhood and what led you to art. Because I do know, I, I did quickly check your website this morning and you grew up in Lima, Peru. And I, I loved when I read that you were involved in 80 skateboarding. I still have my first Tony Hawk deck hanging up on my wall here in my apartment. And actually, wow. a, a, uh, I'm looking at it right now. I'll show you after the interview if you have a second. But a postcard I wrote to Tony Hawk in 1988. And he wrote back with uh, sent this postcard. And I have his autograph. like 30 years old now. Or like whatever the math is. But anyways, 90s surfing you were into. Also gang life um, <laughs> over there. So maybe talk a bit about your childhood and what, you know, the skateboarding, the surfing, your gang activity, and what ultimately led you to art? All right. Well, um, nothing really led me to art. <clears throat> I was just kind of like born that way. Great. Kind of like born uh, creative, expressive, sensitive kind of human. 
And from the jump start, before I even knew what art or non-art was, I was just kind of like doing it. And then the expressions comes in different shapes and forms throughout the years and progresses. Um, you know, so if I was like into cartoons, I was drawing like aliens and spaceships and robots. And then I would like build, uh, you know, you know, sculptures made out of garbage or clubhouses or uh, temples out of tires, um, and of course, always drawing and painting when I could. Uh, then when I got into skateboarding in 86, 87, and uh, all these American graphics started coming through to Peru, it kind of blew my mind, uh, especially the art of Jim Phillips from Santa Cruz Skateboards. And I was like, okay, like that's a thing. I can draw monsters and skulls and all this like rad shit. So I so should I not swear? Oh no, dude, it's it's a totally open, no holds barred, swear okay. away. Okay, cool. And uh, so it really like kind of like influenced me a lot still till today. And I always continued skateboarding. I still do today when I have time because life gets busy as an adult. Same here. Uh, I started skate, uh, surfing around 12, well, I always bodyboarded a little bit, but got more into it when I was a teenager, and that was like a really fun thing to do, and uh, the whole street gang episode was more when I was like 14, 15, and uh, in Lima, you know, there was always like fans from different teams, but then it became like very much like a hooligan thing, sure. and all my friends from school, well, not all of them, but a lot of them were starting to go to the soccer stadium to like the dangerous part of the of the stadium to kind of like cheer and be among all these like super fuggy people. And as a 14 year old, that was like totally scary, especially since I was like upper class in Peru, white kid in a private school. Mm. So going there was like totally scary, but also so exhilarating and exciting. And it was a place where I could go totally nuts and destructive and negative, which is something that's fun to do when you're a teenager and you're just frustrated at like how crazy the world is. And, you know, the, pe the people tell you like what the world's about. And that's why era is just kind of like so mad at that age. So that was a place where I could go there and just kind of like steam out all that frustration. Mm. And uh, yeah, around 17, I moved to, to Ottawa, actually. Oh. And, yeah, lived in Ottawa for four years, went to college and Ottawa University and, and then moved to Montreal. That's cool. Yeah, as Chris and I were discussing before, and I, many of you know, I lived in Ottawa for three years and uh, I actually lived right on the river in a really nice high rise. So you could see Quebec right across and Gatineau Park and uh, down in... Um, God, I've been back in Connecticut so long, I forgot. Uh, Richmond Ave. I don't know if you, how familiar you are with Ottawa, but um, it was a nice area. I really, really love Canada. I certainly miss it. It's When I was moving there, my literary agent, um, she made the, I think she worded it so well. She's like, I love Canada. It's like the U.S., but without the stress. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's a really good way of uh, describing it. So, Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Like so, what were you going to say? Sorry. I like it here, and that's why I never moved to the States, even though probably like my business or career would be doing better if I moved to California or Colorado, but you know, money means nothing if I'm stressed out or right. you know, struggling inside and kind of just kind of like mellow, you know, and yeah, it's yeah. cold outside, but there's heating in here, and I'm comfortable, and you know. Right. <laughs> yeah, man. Sure. I, I hear. And it does get cold here. Don't get me wrong. Like New England gets really cold. But having lived in Canada for years myself and on the river with the windchill factor, it's like I don't feel like I can complain at all. And like you said, man, I'm in a heated apartment right now. Yes, it's cold outside here, too, but is what it is. And you did talk about money, which um, I and I don't want to jump ahead too much, but I, I did want to talk a little bit about, you know, combining our passion for life and work with money. Um, but before we did, I still wanted to dive a little bit deeper into skateboarding just cause I'm a huge skateboarding nerd and obviously you are too. So that's great. Um, but so, you know, you mentioned Santa Cruz, which was incredible. So I'm just on a personal level fascinated to learn a little bit more about what skateboarding culture was for you in Peru, because here I am in, uh, actually I was living in Connecticut at that time. And so, you know, I'm, introduced to Powell Peralta, people like Tony Hawk and Mike McGill. And of course you had Christian Hasoy. And, uh, then you had, what else is going on? H street and vision and, you know, all these just companies, Santa Cruz, like you mentioned, um, 
and then girl and uh, who else? I mean, the list goes on and on. Were were all of these companies big over there as well? Like, um, what was the scene like for you? Um, so I left Peru in '96, uh, so okay. that was <clears throat> right before things. Well, I guess that's like more or less when things were turning street. Yeah. Um, but I'd say like there was a big wave of skateboarding that hit Peru. Like Peru would always get like the the after wave of what was happening up in North America. So if things were popular between like '83 and '86. You know, we would just get that, you know, finally we'd get to Peru in 86 and, you know, 87, 88. That's when we're kind of like getting into it a little bit late to the game. But so, yeah, they built one big skate park in Lima, which was awesome. And uh, you could either buy a Peruvian uh, board, which I had at the beginning and they super sucked. (laughs) Or you would have an aunt that would go to Miami and then bring you back like an actual board. And, you know, eventually for one of my birthdays, I got a vision skateboard, vision trailer. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, like now I'm a visionary artist. Anyways. um, That's right. You know, but uh, sometimes you get a magazine and you'd be like, holy shit, like these graphics are crazy. Uh, you, you wouldn't really get much media. Like the videos would always have to be like super bootlegged copies of copies of copies, VHS styles. And but we would we would do it, you know. We would skate it, and that was fun. And uh, then it kind of died out. By the time it became street, uh, not much was arriving to Peru. People had kind of like stopped. I always used my board to get around, anyways, in my neighborhood. I never really stopped, but say like you know, it was. The skate park got demolished and there was no place to do it other than around your neighborhood. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's I mean, that's rad, though. I mean, I hear what you're saying. It's like you get the a bit of the tail end of the trend, but that's still cool. Like and that's really rad. It is funny that you got the vision skateboard and then the visionary artist thing. I actually just like a year or two ago sold. I found a bunch of my old skateboarding clothes. I had like a pair of the vision streetwear shorts and they uh, were like a kid size. And I held on to them for a few months. And I'm like, you know, what am I really going to do with them? I still have my old decks. So like some old Vision, mostly Powell was my favorite, um, but some H Street, things like that. But so I sold them on eBay for like $50. Like, I mean, used old 80s Vision Streetwear shorts. Yeah, but, just classic, man. Yeah. I, I kind of regret selling them. But again, really, what was I going to do with them? I still have my decks, like I said. And that's what really means a lot to me. But um. Yeah, but that's rad, man. For me, um, you know, skateboarding has and is still a passion. Like you said, when I have time, like, because you do, you grow up. And I have a a Vallely now that uh, a reissue um, that he did with Elephant. uh, So I'm not skating a Powell right now. But it's like these days, even when I have time, it's more like the kick push coast sort of thing for me. Because, man, when you fall down. It's not as easy to get back up. The scrapes, the sprains, you know, luckily no breaks recently. But as you get older, like, you know, the body changes, shit catches up with you. Yeah, Um, definitely. And me as an artist that uses his hands all the time, all of my hands constantly and i bruise my hands and, and i'm like oh i hope i don't get like a shaky hand from bashing it so much i've really hurt like i've broken my wrists a couple of times yeah it, same here yep it's something i should be more careful about but at the same time like i kind of like still like to do it when i have the time i just gotta be careful and uh you know it keeps me young you know yeah. I, I, when i get old i feel like the day that i say like no more skateboarding i, I feel like i've I, accepted that i'm an adult or something <laughs> yeah it's it's that's so true and and i'm a writer so i mean a little different but still like using my hands even if it's on a keyboard i have to be careful too um i was interviewing ian mckay from uh, minor threat and fugazi a while back and he's still a huge skateboarder too and i really that's- loved he talked about how being a skateboarder really changes your relationship to life you know he'd mentioned like how he had just been walking in the DC tunnels um, and how he was like, I was looking at this curb in a transition or I noticed it was during winter. He's like, I noticed somebody had dumped some water out and it had frozen. And he was just saying like, as a skateboarder, you now start to process, like you have this filter that you see through even when you're not skateboarding. And, you know, so like seeing that ice, he's thinking like, Oh, if I was on my skateboard right now, I'd have to be careful of that. Or when he saw that transition or that the curb and the curl, 
in the tunnels, you know, like, oh, that'd be fun to skate. But like, it is interesting how our passions really create these filters through which we experience life. Um, one of the yeah. coolest things for me ever, totally ever, was my first two books and my third will be as well, were reviewed in Thrasher magazine. And it was just, yeah, it was like, dude, people are trying to get on, you know, Oprah and, and Ellen and all this. And sure, that's cool. But I was like, fuck that. Like my books have been reviewed and like photos of them are in Thrasher magazine, you know? And of course I have like five copies of the issues that they were reviewed in. But like, you know, when you see shit like that, it's like, wow, that's, that's great, man. It's not about the money. Like, cause I, you know, I didn't make any money from that, but I've been reading that magazine since like the eighties. So it's, it's super cool. And then to make friends over there and, and uh, it's pretty surreal, man. So do you find skateboarding has like, I mean, I know you do a ton of art with, with decks and skateboarding. Um, so I, I'm sure there's not quite a separation, but do you find skateboarding has influenced your art or creation in any way? Or is it all just like one kind of, it just comes out as it comes out? Um, my art is not like one thing. My art is whatever I got to say at that given moment and it can come out in different styles and different mediums. Uh, I'm usually trying to push myself forward and try new things and not just get stuck in what works. I know what works. I know what people like, but if it doesn't, if it's not exciting for me, I won't do it. Sometimes I'll do things that are not even that cool if that's what I need to say. Uh, as for skateboarding, yeah, it definitely shaped like a kind of edge, you know, like say like I'm doing visionary art, but a lot of visionary arts kind of like, I want to call it soft, but very like spiritual, but in just the sense that it's kind of like uh, airy, you know, right, right. Uh, like oh, celestial and, you know, soft, feminine, which is good. Like we need that too, especially in a world that there's too much edge, but I, I feel sometimes it, it lacks a little bit of the, you know, of the the male energy that also has a little bit of the destructor shiva styles which is all over skateboarding where yeah. you gotta fall and hurt yourself in order to land that trick and get that emotion in your chest uh so that energy will transfer into my art and that actually makes it that a lot of young kids and especially guys can connect into my art and get into spirituality you know, because it's a little bit more relatable to them. I think right. uh, visionary arts got to like relate to everybody, not just one kind of like yogic kind of spiritual person. And the whole thing that you were talking about, uh, observing the world uh, through the eyes of a skateboarder, I travel a lot. And part of my fun is to like arrive to the city and be like, whoa, that's super skatable. I hope <laughs> to come back later and try something there. Uh Many times I can't bring my board because I'm so overpacked with like art materials and this and the other. But when I can bring a board, that's super fun. Or I usually borrow stuff. Yeah. Uh, I also like the whole part where like I'm traveling and I might be alone. But if a skateboarder reaches out, it's like, yeah, if you want to go skating, let's do it. And I'll be like, let's do it. So I'll connect with a total stranger and you'll take me to a bowl. Like I just did a couple months in Amsterdam connected with a brazilian artist and we skated this ball and went to other spots and it was a super fun day so it's something that can really connect people in a community he later visit me in vienna and i let him crash on my couch so like you know awesome. french get, get formed through that connection of skateboarding so definitely it's something that has a, a dear place in my heart for me it's more than this like cool thing that society has put as this thing i don't know they, they they commercialized it you know they made it uh, superficial and and hip but for me it was always this like underground kind of rebel activity that like misfit weirdo kind of people like ourselves would do in order to find some freedom yeah man i mean everything you're saying completely relate to like we both started back when we had to put like stickers or on like you know various places skateboarding is not a crime you know like I can't tell you how many times I was harassed by the cops, you know, being a, also into punk rock and hardcore, underground hip hop, you know, the whole, just the whole dynamic. It was a real way of life. And that was so frowned upon in the 80s and early 90s. But you're right. It just like a lot of great things, it became commercialized. And I mean, it has its pros and cons, I suppose. But um, 
it, it was like a real raw and ragged thing and and agreed like with your art that's what i appreciate about it and with my writing like the two words i hear constantly are raw ragged authentic like because there does need to be a balance light and love is wonderful absolutely that's part of it but then that you know like you said shiva or i have like this big kali tattoo on my left kneecap you know if i was going to get a kali tattoo i wanted it where like you know, I had to work for it. And I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you, I had to work for that one. It sucked. But it's like, you know, matching the, the light and the dark. So it's great that there are folks like you and I in our various mediums offering that. And what I find, because I do a ton of work with the youth as well, um, is that it's very relatable to them. You know, uh, when you're young and when you're old, too, I mean, for some people, but it's so easy to see through the bullshit. And, and you know, like I remember being a teenager and my bullshit detector was very finely tuned as I think it still is today, but especially when I was younger, you know, so people like you and I are lucky in this sense where we are able to, I mean, someone takes a look at you or like when I walk in, I do a lot of work in mental health facilities with people anywhere from 13 to 20 or high schools. I walk in, you know, I'm just like covered in tattoos and with the big plugs in my ears immediately I have the majority of their attention before I even open my mouth as you know, we look at you with the big dreads and, and you know, just your style. So it's not that it's about the material, but it, that is a nice gateway into at least getting the attention and then being able to share whatever we have to share. And so you mentioned, you know, spirituality, which is something I know is, is another passion of yours as it is mine. And, um, that's another topic I would love to discuss with you. What is, I mean, this is, <laughs> I was going to say, what is spirituality to you? But that is such an open-ended, broad question. I mean, um, I'm trying to think of a way to be a bit more concise, but maybe what does spirituality look like in your life? Um, and, that, and that's not much much more of a help, but um, it's, just talk to me a little bit about spirituality, your experience of it, what it is for you. Again, I understand it's very open, so whatever comes up for you. Yeah, well... Uh, once again, to uh, resonate with you, what, what you just said about the, the whole skateboarding thing, uh, I also teach workshops at uh, high schools, and I come in looking kind of like hip to them. And a lot of these schools that they, they, they send me to are the trouble kids schools, the kids who got kicked out from other schools. And when I come in looking kind of cool in their eyes, then they're like listening to me yeah. as opposed to their teachers. And then they, 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 they break, they can lower down their defenses because they kind of look up to you to some degree and they can make you real questions. They can be like, so you smoke a ton of weed, like you do this, you do that. And you can give them honest responses that can actually help them out. Right. Uh, then I was just got back from Cuba and Cuba is a country that's kind of got stuck in the 50s, you know, <laughs> thanks to like political situations and the embargo. So they have no skateboard equipment. They got no skate shops. They got wow. no parks. It's a massively illegal place. So it was kind of like going back to the 80s or, or, or early 90s when it comes to the to the rules of things. And they made a do-it-yourself skate park and a, an abandoned Olympic facility. So I was brought by this uh, New York documentary called Humanity Stoked, which is going to be a documentary by Michael Ian Cohen about how skateboarders want to make the world a better place or those who want to make the world a better place. So we went to Cuba. We brought 30 skateboards to give away to that community. I painted a mural at that skate park and we had a show with a Grammy Award winner and uh, Chuck Trees. I don't know if you know him. He yeah. came. I, I did. I did not to cut you off. I'll send you the link. I did a little documentary with Chuck Trees um, oh. down in Pennsylvania. He's a friend. And uh, yeah, he wrote a really nice endorsement for my first book. I love him. Mick Rad is amazing. I first yeah. heard them on the public domain video from Powell Peralta. But anyways, continue. That's so great. Yeah. Though. I love Chuck. So he joined too. So it was, just, it was a really special thing to go to Cuba, observe their situation, what resonated on how we were back when we were kids, and empower them. You know, I did a little workshop with like kids. We painted boards. It was like a beautiful, nice experience. Uh, moving on to the spirituality topic. 
Well, I guess it's hard to explain, but I guess I am soul. I'm living this life as Chris Dyer, a 38-year-old human who grew up there and lives here, and I'm an artist. I guess that's the role that I was assigned to in this life, and I do it full force. And I try to live from that perspective where I I am serving the most high, uh, or the most high being all of us, but our higher selves. Uh, so we can awaken more to our higher selves, so we can rescue our ourselves and the planet, uh, so we can not destroy it. Mm. Um, as a kid, I, w- I still had that feeling of like, yeah, I'm soul, I want to be down with God, but in Peru, it's like Christianity, and you got to go to church. Uh, I tried my best, but it wasn't really making me a good person. As I told you, I was going to the soccer stadium and throwing rocks at people who were from the opposite opposite soccer team. So that's not a very nice thing to do. Um, I guess I learned more about true spirituality once I went tree planting at age 21. I went to the north of Canada for a couple months and I just would plant trees in, in places where it got deforested. And that's when I started realizing like, oh yeah, this is what the planet's about, nature. You know, no buildings, no culture, just these insects and trees and mud. And who am I in relation to that? And God, is God a cultural thing? Is he based on a prophet or a specific place? Or is it like everything? So I started learning more, reading more books that taught me about a cultureless, you know, spirituality. And I, start, I started living that way. And of course, I... I like to listen to the points of views of spirituality from different cultures because they all have pieces of that essence, which is culture-less. So, yeah, I got no religion. uh, I got no culture. I'm from all cultures and I'm from all religions, but none of them own me and I don't take sides. I'm just trying to be a good person and live from love. And it's a daily struggle to kind of be my higher self. I need to be present constantly, but I got this mind and my mind is always tricking me or pulling me aside and and making me act in ways that I, the real me, doesn't want to be. So it's like a daily practice of presence and concentration and, you know, being the higher self that Chris should be. (laughs) Mm. See, I love what you're saying. I absolutely resonate with all of it. Like what I'm hearing, the way I'm processing what you're saying is like the two truths of Buddhism are coming up, the relative and the absolute, or like in Hinduism, where they talk about Brahman and Atman, you know, our higher self, our lower self, Chris Dyer, Chris Grasso, this physical shell, this being that is a manifestation of the unmanifest Um, and balancing the two, you know, like using this vehicle as an expression of like life, just an extension of life, lifing itself or God or source or whatever you care to call it. Um, I, we're very similar in that regard. And I too, I don't identify as anything specifically, but I have learned so much from more of the mystic elements of the great wisdom traditions. Um, religion as a whole, I often struggle with because, you know, obviously so many wars have been fought over it. So many deaths have occurred. Um, but when you look at like the mystic teachers or the mystical teachings of people, like whether it's Christ or Buddha or Shankara, Nagarjuna, you know, from all these different traditions or more contemporary, like Thich Nhat Hanh, even like Alex and Allison, you know, when they talk, um, it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I remember meeting Alex for the first time and Allison um, but I met Alex before uh, Allison that day, and just remembering, like, he was one of the most present, transparent, beautiful people, you know, and, and same with Ram Das when I got to meet him, and uh, it's just like you, you can feel that in someone else. It's, um, it's an extraordinary thing, and so, like you said, striving to be the best person you can be and, and serve and, um, you know, and, and show up, that's similar passions so do you have specific practices that you use uh you know whether we call them spiritual or not or do you just find it it kind of emanates into all areas of your life um do you have a daily routine um well the problem with my life it's not really a problem but the situation with my life is that i'm at this point where i'm constantly traveling yeah i understand Uh, I said, I just got back from Cuba a couple of days ago. In a couple of days, I'm going to Australia and Thailand, and I'll be away for two months. And once I'm there, I'm like painting a mural at a festival, teaching a workshop, painting another mural on the street, next festival, next workshop. Like I, I 
you know, and if I can have a little bit of a day off, I got to catch up with 50 million emails from all the different projects I got going. So my mind is always being activated. I don't have a lot of time to just kind of mellow out. Being at home is my mellow out time, but I only get a week in between all these missions. When I'm home, like today, I get up gently. I do my Qigong stretches in my living room. Today I took a bath. I played my singing ball, I did some rapid tobacco snuff, meditated a little bit, uh, had a very healthy breakfast, and then got ready for this interview. If not, I'd be like probably answering emails or, but I'd, I'd say like, you know, when I have more time at home, it's doing art. That would be my meditational practice, just kind of like sitting and listening to records and and getting into my painting. That's what I love to do the most. I wish I could do more of that, but right now, I'm being called of service. I'm kind of like a missionary for a, a religion that doesn't exist. Uh, <laughs> you maybe, and me both, brother. <laughs> yeah, or maybe like it's a nameless religion of art, you know, like the, the religion that Alex Gray is doing at Cosm. That's right. It's like if I there, there, there was a religion I adhered to is the religion of art as a medium to bring forth the spiritual essence of every person. So I'm out there like doing my thing, inspiring people, hopefully, and also empowering the youth for them to also do it. So we all kind of like activate each other. And the more people you activate, the better chances we got to uh, rescue this humanity in the place of uh, planet Earth. Yeah, man. And and I love the fact that you, you also, you, so you have your practice at home and that's, that's essential when you have time. I travel to speak at conferences, festivals, you know, book tours, all that. So I completely understand. But that's why when you're at home, I find at least, you know, having that dedicated practice, whatever it consists of, whether like you named a number of wonderful things, it helps to, you know, instill that in you. So when you are on the road for a period of time, it, it carries over. So like, what, for example, and I often talk to people, especially younger people, you know, they hear the word meditation or yoga or mantra or whatever it may be. And, you know, they're kind of like, Ugh, you know, because they have these preconceived notions. But um, what I tell them is spirituality is what you make of it. You know, like art, I think, is such a spiritual expression. I'm a musician. I, I suck at, you know, art. I can't paint or draw to save my life. I'm going actually for my first time to Alex and Allison's uh Oh, I forgot what it's specifically called. One of their sacred church uh, events um, in two weeks. Art. Art church. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to one on in February and I'm very intimidated because literally I don't have an artistic bone in my body as far as like painting. But, um, you know, I'm really excited to go check that out. Uh, but, you know, mu music is a form of spiritual expression for me or even skateboarding. If I'm there when I'm on my board and I'm present, it is such a spiritual experience. And when I'm, you know, when I'm able to talk to especially the youth like that, then, you know, that helps them to lower their guard. And it's like, oh, no shit. Like, I don't have to go to church or a meditation group. I mean, if that's what resonates, God bless, go for it. Or, But if it's not, you find it wherever you find it. And so, you know, a lot of people tend to compartmentalize spirituality, I found, is just happening when we're sitting on the cushion meditating or in a yoga class. But that's not the case at all. You know, like for you, you're out traveling. So not only are you doing service work, but, you know, when you're there p painting these gorgeous murals, if you're there in that moment painting that mural, how it doesn't get more spiritual than that. You know, you're creating this beautiful visionary art. And that's amazing. Or for me, like when I'm traveling, you know, sitting on a 10 hour plane ride, wherever, like if I'm there, like in the moment, which, you know, I'm not like I'm not in the state of abiding non-dual awareness constantly. But when I am, that's spirituality, you know, just being there in the moment. And I've had and I, I've written about this and talked about it often, but I had a beautiful mystic non-dual experience at a Slayer concert once of all places, a Slayer concert. So if it can happen there, dude, it can happen anywhere. So yeah, totally. And that's what I try to do. You know, like it's not like I'm trying to like be the cool visionary artist i just do these things that i've always done yeah like a lot of people like those things and it's kind of like my trojan horse to get spirituality into their lives without them even like thinking about it you know like with the skateboarding thing that you were saying uh yes 
skateboarding is a yogic practice. It is a dance, and it demands presence. Because if you're not present doing, you know, on a mini ramp, you're gonna eat shit. So yeah. you gotta like, hey, Chris, be be aware of where you're doing every single minute movement that your foot is doing. You're not thinking about like, did I do the laundry or I need to answer that email. You're kind of like in the presence of be doing that flowy activity. There's this flow of energy that you're caught into, and all of a sudden you land a trick you never thought it'd be possible for you to do, and you impress yourself and be like, "Wow, there's more that I can do that I could ever dream of." So that for me is like such a great meditation, and that's why I like to paint on old broken skateboards because all this concentrated uh, presence gets trapped in it. And then when I paint it, it's kind of like this very energetic artifact. But, you know, same for painting or for anything that you love to do, anything you do with passion and that captures your attention, that's spirituality. And if we can like spread the word more about it, spirituality can stop being this lame, boring, dogmatic thing that the that the world kind of pushes on you because it's what you're supposed to be doing, you know? Let's just be happy. That should be our spiritual practice. And then we're you know <laughs> i love that yeah because the happier we are and not that we're always going to be happy but then you bring a you know more skillful version of yourself out into the world and you're not living from a place of like defensiveness or guardedness or reactionary you know it's like it's it's cool like it's good like and again not that you'll be perfect at it or i'll be perfect at it but it's that is so well said man i love that just do it do what makes you happier like yeah. the Dalai Lama said, my religion is kindness. You know, I love that too. Like kindness, happiness, these things go hand in hand. And, but at, going back to what we said about the kind of ragged, raw nature of the way we kind of offer things, that's an invitation to go deeper within ourselves because there is this shadow material. We all have our, our muck down there. And it's not until we really start to sift through that in whatever way we get it out again, whether it's art, whether it's writing, whether it is in therapy or whatever. I mean, there's so many ways to do it. Um, but as we, you know, get that out, then the, it just clears the way for more light to shine and for us to be these happier, more skillful beings, both towards ourselves and those around us, whether they're friends, family or strangers, you know, and, and that is a, it's a mighty undertaking, but I mean, shit, if we don't want to like blow ourselves up, which, you know, obviously could happen any day now with, I don't want to get too political, but with, you know, the jackass who's in charge of our country right now, um, <laughs> while you guys have Trudeau, like, yeah. Did I mention I, uh, I'm a little jealous that I'm not in Canada anymore and you're there? Anyways. <laughs> well, it's one world, you know, like the lines are just uh, imaginary. So we need more positive people in the darker places. You know, if everybody run, like if all the positive people run away to the positive places, Right. There's this healing being done. Not that Canada is totally positive. We of got our But uh, yeah, you know, we need to keep the positive people in the States to do the healing because if we leave all just the other not so positive people, that's really just going to multiply more. And that's, I guess, the situation right now. The, the negativity is multiplying as opposed to being brought down. So we need more healers. We need I, to multiply the healers. <laughs> I love that. So kind of being in the trenches. Um, I remember yeah. I was listening to uh, an interview that Tammy Simon, she's the founder of Sounds True Publishing, did with Eckhart Tolle, obviously very well-known author of The Power of Now and other books. And it was actually on the day of the September 11th attacks that happened on the World Trade Center in New York. And uh, she asked him, they were talking about the rising of consciousness on the planet and, you know, because he talks at depth about that. And Tammy kind of threw me in a good way when she said, do you think, though, that there is also, and this is not a verbatim quote, but something to the effect of like, there is darkness growing as well. Do you think as spiritual practitioners basically is what she was getting at that people tend to surround themselves in this bubble, like of all like positivity and it's all good and forget that outside of that bubble, there are still atrocities happening every single day. You know, there is women being raped, um, not just in our country. I mean, everywhere there is molestation. There is you know, terrorist attacks that we don't hear about on a daily basis. There's just all this like darkness. 
And uh, and you could tell he was a little caught off guard. Um, and I don't remember how he responded. He, of course, said, yes, this is happening. Um, but I just I really appreciated that she brought that up. And I think that's something, again, that where you and I are and people like ourselves, because there are, you know, more of us out there. And I, I know us seems like a bit of an exclusive term, but for lack of better words. But, you know, people that are trying to reach out and, and again, be in these trenches and, and help bring that darkness to light. Um, so that's really wonderful. And that's uh, why I'm so jazzed to have you on this show and share your work and um, and what you're out there doing. So the, the negativity is real. Yeah. Uh, and the negativity is real inside us. Yeah. Uh, and that's the only battle that I can't really truly win. Right. I used to be an activist. And when you become an activist, it's all like, look at all this array of problems around the world from the environment to human uh, desecration and blah, blah, blah. Like there's you get overwhelmed and it's almost like you live a depressed life because you can never solve everything. You can maybe do little things to help things turn on the on the better direction. And that's when I just got more into spirituality because when you get into spirituality, you're, you're addressing the root of what creates that negativity in the world. And then once you look at it, it's like I, I can't be responsible for this planet of 7 billion people. I, I can only be responsible for myself. And even that is a major uh, project, you know, because I suck half the time or more. So, like, if I can't really – heal myself and become perfect how can i go out to the world and be like you guys all be perfect according to what what i think is perfect so yeah the the shadow work is like a really crucial aspect of work that us spiritual people should address i've been working at it uh very deeply in the last few months uh and it's been a really hard few months for me like in uh, late october I broke up with my girlfriend, which was this awesome, beautiful, spiritual lady that helped me heal so much. But I felt like I needed to do more work and, and being with her made it too comfortable and easy. Like she facilitated, you know, a state that I was not reaching by myself. So I had to like break up with her, break her heart, make like, you know, give hurting to somebody that I loved and then be by myself and be separated from this person that I'm really attracted and in love with to be by myself and go through my shit. And I, went, I, I moved to Vienna for a month to teach there at the Visionary Arts Academy. And it's like a dark, cold place with a dark energy mm-hmm. and like unfriendly people. And, you know, and it was like a really hard month of just kind of like, I even like the painting that I did was like very dark and different from my usual stuff. So I was really like, facing my darkness it's like okay i know you're there mine i know i'm I'm identifying you i can see you i'm externalizing you i cannot get rid of you maybe i know maybe if i become enlightened i can get rid of the mind but that seems like a unachievable task at this point but at least i can observe you separate myself identify you so when you're acting up i don't let you control me i can be like no mind I am this and I don't want you to to take over me. So that was my practice in Vienna. Then I went to Peru to teach my my ayahuasca workshop in the jungle and that was all about purging the darkness. So oh, like that sure. was right here. So I just purged like a whole bunch and I accessed, you know, all the other uh, dimensions of reality and reminded myself that I'm not my ego, I'm not my body, like this is the this identification with this thing that kind of like covers my soul and be like, no, you're the soul. People got their process, accept their process. You got your process, accept it, surrender, be okay with the pain, be okay with the darkness. Mm -hmm. And then I've continued, you know, coming back to Montreal and not having my girlfriend here. There's still sadness. And I just went to Cuba. Like the the sadness is there, but it's kind of like becoming less and less. But there's this underlying piece of acceptance of like, okay, it's a moment of sadness, but I accept it. I'm not getting carried away from it. I'm not becoming uh, negative because of it. I just kind of like waiting until it passes and I can rise up the happiness from just being okay by myself. I think this whole year I'm going to not be with a girlfriend, just want to be by myself and find that happiness that's inside my own heart. That's my goal and that's what I'm working on and it's super tough and not easy. Half the time, I, I am not happy, but 
that's the work that I'm doing. So that's my way of making the world a better place. You know, I'm dealing with myself and succeeding. So <laughs> I I relate to all of it. Um, first of all, I love that you said really it's only you that you can um be not even in charge of, but like do the sincere work on, and that in and of itself is quite the undertaking. I really appreciate that. As far as the relationship thing. I, I resonate like I was married and that's why I was living in Ottawa. Actually, was, my wife is uh, French Canadian and uh, or what ex-wife. And so I was living there um, with her and, and my stepdaughter at the time. And um, it was, a, I don't know, a year and a half, two years ago, we separated and, and are divorced. And uh, and that was so hard for me, you know, to to get divorced and be by myself and sit with that darkness and feel my feelings. And I got myself back into therapy because I knew like I needed, I had close friends that I could trust, but I also need knew I needed more than that, more than meditation. I needed, you know, and again, it's different for everyone, but that was also one of the most like cathartic experiences. It was terrible, you know, for many, many months it was, it sounds like you're handling it much better than I did. You know, it's, it's just, man, when you have that deep soul heart connection, I adored her, loved her. Obviously. I mean, we were married, um, but having come out of the other side of that, and I too took quite a break from dating just to work on myself, get through what I needed to work through. And then actually just yesterday, coincidentally, I've been dating this wonderful new woman for, about a month and a half. And she's like, Hey, do you want to be my boyfriend? And I was like, as a matter of fact, I do. So it was, you know, it's just interesting how, how life works. Um, but yes, that was quite a period of purging and healing. And, um, and, and you did mention ayahuasca, um, which is something I'm always fascinated to talk to people about on the show. I've never done that. Um, and, I've had anyone everywhere from addiction experts like Gabor Mate on the show talking about it and its benefits to, of course, uh, who else, Alex and Allison and, you know, whomever else. I've, but I'd love to hear if, if you're cool with sharing a little bit about that, because I know, you know, you've you've done retreats or and you offer them from time to time. Um, so what's uh, now Gabor? I, I guess I'll just set this up. He said it's not for everyone. But if you feel called to it, you should absolutely do it, even if you're in recovery from drugs and alcohol, which actually I am. I'm, I'm a recovering addict. Um, and so part of me initially when I didn't understand it as a plant medicine had this fear that, oh, God, I would do ayahuasca and, you know, maybe I'll go back to drinking every day or, or snorting shit up my nose. When, you know, again, this is going back several years ago. I was pretty ignorant to it. But the more I learned about it and read and... Uh, and even that or psilocybin or whatever the case may be, you know, I'm, it's not a popular stance that I take where I think that those can be very conducive things for one's recovery and healing, whether in or out of addiction. Um, but you, if you say that to people that are in recovery in 12 step fellowships, it doesn't go over very well. There's a very, just like with religion, there's a very dogmatic, rigid view of like a drug is a drug, whereas ayahuasca or psilocybin, these are plant medicines. You know, these are sacred healing tools. And I firmly believe that though. I, I mean, I've done acid and psilocybin more times than I can literally like hundreds, but ayahuasca is one I've never done. So if, if you talk a little bit about that and the healing of that, uh, that plant, I would love to hear about it in your experience at least. Yeah. Well, as, as I told you, I'm Peruvian. Yes. <laughs> and I do visionary art. Yeah. So there, and I, I do this very trippy art. So uh, a lot of people always kind of like assume that my art came from psychedelics uh, or ayahuasca specifically. And I actually, though I've done a lot of psychedelics in my life, there's been years where I've done none. And even like weed, I've cut out for several years. Right now I'm on a free month no weed thing and i'll keep on going as long as i can because sometimes it's just not a medicine for me anymore and it becomes a poison depending on how much i dive into it or not yeah. uh, so with ayahuasca i assume that i was this ayahuasca artist and i'm like no that's just how i paint because this comes from my heart this is what i gotta say i don't need a ghost writer to tell me what to paint and if anything i think it's kind of lame like i think it's cool that the visionary art are the people who are like painting the experiences of medicines and stuff but I don't like the part where, like, you know, people seem like they have to do all these psychedelics in order to find their vision right. and, and just find it on their own. Like, 
you know, it depends on the person, you know, I'm not trying to generalize a whole movement, but I, I, I don't like it when I go to uh, conventions where you're, where it's so focused around the medicines that bring divisions as opposed to just divisions, regardless of where they come from. Sure. So I really always had a resistance to doing ayahuasca. I didn't want to be that stereotype. I didn't want to find, uh, follow this new trend of this cool secret medicine <laughs> from the jungle of Peru, especially me being from there. It's like, dude, that was always there. And right. patterns are, are this like old school kind of like thing I always saw in my life. And now it's on every girl's festival's bikini. And it's kind of like this weird, you know, cultural appropriation kind of thing. I, I was not super into it. But then I had a show, a solo show in Lima, 2014. I was married too at the time. I'm also a divorcee. Okay. And uh, and my, this shaman that I was in touch with for many years, Herbert Quinteros, offered to play music at it for free. And I'm like, yeah, come play music. And and he played this amazing, you know, little concert at my at my exhibition. And my wife, who was kind of psychic, was like, Chris, we got to go to the jungle. And she hates the jungle. She hates spiders. She hates anything that's dirty or strange. But she's like, okay, we got to go to the jungle. I saw it. This is going to be life-changing. So I was like, okay, cool. Well, I guess this is my time to finally try ayahuasca. And I tried it, and it was very powerful and then also very difficult. I had two different ceremonies. Uh, and I thought that that was that, you know, I thought like, okay, I had the experience now I can move on and know what it is and not need it anymore. But then as I was coming closer to the time of my divorce, when I saw that my wife was stopping to love me, she got really sick and I was not very present because my, my career was happening and I was, I'm getting invited here, invited there. And I, I was, you know, she never wanted me to travel, but I, I, at one point it's like, look, I can't deny my life. I need to go to these places. It's my career. It's my passion. It's my healing of the world. She's like, okay, go, go. But then she felt like she got abandoned. And, and, and so our, our, our marriage didn't work because of that demand for me. And, uh, and I, that's when I started smoking weed a lot, but like a lot, a lot to the point where like every time I smoke a joint, like my body's vomiting because I just didn't want it anymore. Like my throat's fucked up and like, I know I could vape or like there's always solutions to that, but I'm a joint guy. I don't know. But, (laughs) uh, but I was just like really unhappy because it had me by the balls. I couldn't stop as much as I wanted to stop. I couldn't. So then I was like, I think, this is a time where I could go back to the jungle and, and do a whole dieta with Herbert and, and uh, medicine. So I went by myself. I didn't go with my wife this time. And I did a, a whole dieta, which is when you combine other master plants with the ayahuasca ceremonies and you do like a big cleanse. You know, you like live in this hut. You don't speak much. You eat very simply boring foods right. and you ceremonies and you, you purge. You just get off. I, I purged that entity that was so you know, needed weed so badly, needed that, that, that thing. And, uh, and that's when I saw like, okay, Chris, you can either stay with your wife and give healing to one person who's, who's sick and needs you there, or you can divorce and go out into the world and heal thousands of kids that need you out there. And that's what the world needs right now. The world's sick and they, we need you out there doing the work. So you're going to have to sacrifice your life. You're going to have to divorce and go through all this depression and sadness for you to do your service. So I listened to it. That's what I did. And another thing it told me is like, come back every December and have a reboost, uh, a reboot of your system. Remind yourself who you are spiritually. Because when I'm out in the world, like serving here, serving there, travel here, there, I get like, you know, fans telling me I'm the shit. And, you know, like you lose perspective of who you are. You just get so trapped in the mind. So me going to the jungle every December is more to like, okay, I know who I am as a soul fuck all that noise around me. And then as I would start going to uh, my uh, Qatari center in Tarapoto, Peru every December, my shaman said like, yo, why don't you just offer some of your art retreats here and then you can do your cleanses, but also be like, you know, offering it to others. And through the message, it was saying like, yes, this is something to be shared with others. Like the world needs healing. I'm here to heal. So I put it out there a couple of years ago. I was like, okay, we're going to do an art retreat with medicine ceremony. I was very nervous because it was like the Chris Dyer stamp of approval. Okay, you can come with, to the shaman and do it with me and you know you'll be safe. But I don't know how people will react yeah. to things. Like what if somebody goes crazy or jumps off a cliff and it's all on me and I can't take that kind of – it's a lot of responsibility. 
but I did it uh, the first year and it worked great. There's actually a dude with an entity and they had to battle that entity, but they exercised it. And he was so grateful. I was like, yeah, I knew I had that shit in me. But Herbert, who's a competent shaman, like got it out. And everybody left there really healed and empowered and ready to rock their art. So I was like, okay, this is something good. This is something I can do. I did it again last year. So a couple of months ago in December, once again, everybody left there super like, you know, life-changing experiences. So now I'm like, okay. This is the the new direction of my workshops. Not only I'm gonna like offer, you know, art, but if I can at any point, I'm also gonna like bring my shaman, who's a, who's a good at what he does, and offer the medicines for those who need it. So every uh, the next one in Peru is in November, and I'm also gonna be offering one in March in Thailand in Copanyan. You know, I'm gonna. I my shaman there and we'll have a week at, at a retreat center in Copenhagen and we'll do like medicines and art out there. So uh, my things are changing. And even when I don't bring ayahuasca or my shaman, I try to like really come from that space of like we're here to do healing work on ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like try to share rapé and play ikaros and really come from a really – it's more than like, okay, let's do dope art and we're all cool. It's more like, okay, we're here to heal ourselves. We're here to heal the world. Let's yeah. build or soldiers of the army of light through the weapon of art. So <laughs> that's that. uh, mission these days. <laughs> I love that. And just to reiterate your website, because I know you keep um, your events posted on there, including these uh, retreats, it's positivecreations.ca. So anyone listening that's interested, I mean, first of all, just visit that website because your, your incredible art is there. There's just a lot of really cool shit on that page. But um Aside from just those retreats, also your other workshops and uh, and there's some online stuff, which is great. And actually, which leads me to the I guess we're starting to run out of time. But one thing I did see when I was looking at that part, um, I know you talk about in some of your workshops, the business of art. And that was something that grabbed my attention right away, because for those of us in this field of art and again, art is a very big umbrella. So whether it's, you know, visionary art or writing or musician, you know, to me, that's all a form of art and artistic expression. And it can be very difficult, you know, to to do that and have it be sustainable, have that be your your real way of living. Um, And for me, I find it ebbs and flows aside from writing, you know, I speak at conferences and festivals and, and that's great. And so sometimes I'm sitting very comfortably, other times I'm not. Um, So, you know, I had seen again in the workshop description, you talk about how you can take like this business of your soul's expression and use it uh, in a way that helps you to, you know, sustain your life your livelihood so i was wondering if you can give a even of just a few tips we don't have to go too in depth into this but i know a lot of listeners this is their passion and they're trying to find a way how can i live because they have to go to that nine to five soul-sucking job where they don't feel like they're being of service you know so what what is some some tips or any any advice you you might have for those looking to do that yeah, well, first it's all about perspective, you know, because the whole thing about being a spiritual person is that we observe money as this evil thing that's ruining the world, yeah. you know. So first we got to, like, change that perspective uh, and be like, look, money is just a medium for us to achieve certain things in our life. Like, if I want to travel, I need to buy a flight. If I, you know, like if I want art materials, if I want to do anything, you need that money. It's not evil to want that money as long as you're not like this greedy person who's going to sacrifice your ethics towards getting it. You can work hard to achieve your dreams. We want to live off our passions. You know, I think that's something we got to start wanting. Like I want to live off my passion. Can I do it? You know, and how do I do it? Let's figure it out. Okay, so I need to first make good art or good music, good whatever is your passion. Second, let's promote it. Let's get it out there to the world. Let's make sure that we have lots of followers on our social media because that's how we attract clients and sales and blah, blah, blah. And there's like a number of other tips, you know, like my my speeches around two hours and a half to three hours slideshow about the different things you can do in art, the different jobs from murals to illustrations to uh, you know, like uh, commission paintings, like we talk about the gallery thing. We even talk about taxes and declaring mm-hmm. your 
taxes or investments outside the world are. Okay, so you made a chunk of art, let's buy some property, let's put that money to work, you know, let's be smart and not just blow it on dabs, you know, like, you know, <laughs> let's, uh, you know, let's uh, let's play this monopoly game of the world and beat it so we can be empowered spiritual people who feed the good side, you know, like we need more good people with money because yes. the people with money uh, empowers other good people uh, to do their projects and then be empowered to make their money. Once again, we're empowering each other. We're creating more healers. We're making more soldiers of the army of light. And uh, money is an ingredient in that, you know. So that's that's something I offer in my speeches about the business of art. I've been somewhat successful in my career and I, I live a, a free life. There's ups and downs. And uh, say right now I'm in a moment of investment where I'm like trying to like bring everything to the next level. And that means me throwing money left and right. But I got full faith in the universe that those things will work out and everything will come back the holes will be patched in and there'll be even more growth to keep on expanding something that I believe is good. You know, if my, my clothing gets out there and, and people use it in their life and they, they're shining these good vibes and friendships are being made and alliances and more, it's all good, you know? Like, it's all about the perspective that we're doing good and, you know, this whole, like, starving artist uh, theory is bullshit and so one of the lies and black magic of the world to keep creative people down. Yeah, thank you for saying that because I certainly subscribed to that myself, like, early on and uh, and it was tough and it's still, like, at times is tough. Like, I know that money is not evil. I love everything you just said. We absolutely, I couldn't agree more, need more people that are shining this light to have more money so that they can continue to do their work and just bring more of it out there. But it is a deeply instilled thing for many people. And it's taken me a lot of work to get out of that and realize it's okay to have money. You know, I got a, a pretty nice advance on my last book and I caught myself feeling a little guilty. It allowed me to buy my car outright, you know, and it was like, it's a good feeling to buy a car and not have to have a monthly car payment. And it was just like, you know what, though? That's okay. Like, this car helps you get to the airport to your events. Or if it's local, it helps you get to that event. You know, or I have a nice apartment right now that I appreciate. Nicest place I've ever lived. And it's like, I don't live an extravagant lifestyle. There's nothing wrong with material things. But for me, I'm just, I'm a pretty basic, simple guy. I'd rather, like you, like I'd rather travel and see things and and, and offer and and and, uh, and have my money go towards that and experience life than collect toys. Again, not that there's anything wrong with toys. Being a musician, I love guitars. Being an artist, you know, I'm sure there's certain things you love art-wise. And, and that's cool, man. But um, I, I, I thank you for saying that. And I hope that our listeners really take that to heart. Those that are struggling with, you know, not just financially, but with their beliefs around money. Um, because I know it's a tough one to shake. So... Um, I appreciate that very much, Chris. And this conversation has been great. We're, we're just like out of time right now. I feel like we could talk for hours more. This, I'll have to have you back on again. We'll, 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 so I won't say goodbye. I will say, I appreciate this part of our conversation. Part one. Um, I know you're traveling, but maybe later on in the year we'll connect and, uh, and thank you. But that said though, again, your website is positivecreations.ca and uh all of your events are listed there um your contact information is there um your books are on amazon chris dyer just check that out uh, i got a web store where i also got my books and products that's positivecreations.net oh perfect you know and uh i i think i post more on my social media than on my web pages because it's hard to like you know once again get at the office and update shit same so here my my instagram is chris underscore dyer my Facebook is Chris Dyer's Positive Creations. And yeah, I got a blogger and I got a YouTube channel. Oh, yep. there's my dad trying to. Uh, sorry, dad. Later. <laughs> uh, and uh, I got a YouTube channel with a travel series. Yesterday I dropped my Russian episode. So basically when I, when I, when I travel, I film episodes of the different places I go and I show the culture of the place, the skateboarding, the artists, the awesome. festivals, what I'm doing. So that's called the uh, art adventures of Chris Dyer. Cool. So I'll check it out on my YouTube, a couple plugs there. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> I know I was actually going to ask and I appreciate that. And also what we'll do anyone listening, if you're on the be here now network website, just scroll down a little bit and you'll see all of these links will be listed. You can just click on them. If you're on iTunes, listening to this, 
visit the Be Here Now Network website, BeHereNow.shit. I think it's com. Just Google search Be Here Now Network. It'll bring you there. Tons of great shows. Ram Das, Jack Kornfield, Krishna Das, Lama Surya Das, Sharon Salzberg. Everyone's hosting their shows over there. So check it out regardless. Chris, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your work and your service in the world. Um, it's been a real pleasure to connect with you. And uh, yeah, man, I'm just grateful. I'm super grateful to uh, Chris. Boom. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> thank you so much i appreciate the nice conversation thank you love to you and your your listeners uh thank you very much This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BeHereNow today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash BeHereNow.